0: Hello and welcome to Big Problems, Small Solutions. On this episode, I'm very pleased to welcome one of the star researchers from the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine, Dr. Carlos Kangler. Hi, Carlos. Hey, good. Good uh, morning here. Good afternoon there. And the wonders of uh, internet recordings and time zones.
1: I know it's a wonderful thing when it works.
0: Yes. So, uh, Carlos, you're one of as your HR representative introduced you to me, one of the star researchers at the Institute. Uh, For those who uh, aren't up on regenerative medicine, the Wake Forest Institute is one of the premier areas of research in that field. For those of you who are listeners or viewers of TED Talks, you might remember uh, Dr. Anthony Atala, who is one of the leaders there, um, showed off the possibility of bioprinting for organs like you know bladders kidneys and various other things several years ago not to fanboy too much but that TED talk was probably what got me interested in regenerative medicine in the first place yeah um, uh, looking forward yeah looking forward to hearing what uh, what you and the people at W firm are working on
1: sure yeah that uh, that video got me into this space in some ways as well i was <laughs> Um, I think that was back in 2011,
0: maybe. I think so. Uh,
1: And that was the year I decided to go back for my PhD and ended up here at the Institute for Regenerative Medicine um, Mm -hmm. as a a graduate student. And so that started my research here. I had already been interested in regenerative medicine my education is in biomedical engineering so i'm coming at it not as a traditional scientist but from from the perspective of engineering
0: yep wanting to wanting to build a new new organ where there previously was none
1: right solve medical problems as as i as i can um but not always from the perspective of trying to generate new knowledge, but from the perspective of how do we use our current understanding to engineer new solutions. And um, yeah, so my my particular experience has been focused on bioprinting, both on trying to utilize bioprinting as a tool and engineer solutions, engineer tissues and organs using that platform, but then also trying to uh, see how we can improve the bioprinting platform in ways that are compatible with clinical translation, as we call it. So as an engineer, I like to think of it as trying to come up with solutions to these medical problems that can really help patients. And that's one of the things I appreciate about the Institute for Regenerative Medicine here at Wake Forest is... the the primary goal is to help patients. And that really imposes a lot of limitations on what we do that when you're kind of coming at it from a science perspective, aren't necessarily there. You can try whatever seems to work.
0: You can just play around with the organs and without really wondering about, you know, how viable they're going to be for a patient.
1: That or, or you can, you know, put almost anything in the mix with cells and any materials that that seem feasible um, or will give you uh, work towards results that you're looking for, um, that may be completely irrelevant when it comes to trying to go through the regulatory processes, whether it's the FDA here, or the regulatory processes in Europe, it can be really difficult to get some of the materials that are used to be approved for use in patients, so that's one of the one of the challenges, but also one of the things that I appreciate about what we do is trying to limit ourselves to what is realistic to to get through those regulatory processes.
0: Mm-hmm. A lot of um, scientific research sometimes doesn't focus on what's realistic and just shoots for the moon.
1: Yeah, and and that has yielded a lot of um, a lot of great advances but it can take a long time <laughs> and we're already dealing with long time frames to, to get to patients. So, yeah, but my, my research is focused primarily on some of the bone and cartilage applications, longstanding problems that seem like they, they should be fairly simple, but are still complicated to, to actually engineer some of these simple tissues and get them, get them to patients. But, uh, I, I helped participate in some of the studies looking at cartilage for the ear when we were bioprinting that and then bioprinting some kind of synthetic grafts for bone healing and regeneration showing the kind of the effic- efficacy of bioprinting to shape fidelity and patient specific tissue and organ shape I guess that's really what 3D printing is is so powerful for is producing arbitrary shapes and when it comes to patient individuality and especially when you're dealing with craniofacial or the skeletal system everybody has kind of a unique uh, a unique anatomy and being able to preserve that for the for the outcome is is one of the benefits of,
0: of bioprinting in general Hmm. yeah the less the less change you can make to someone's overall structure the better it's going to heal one would think
1: yeah and and preserving their when, when you facial have
0: structure.
1: facial structure, yeah, when you have some of these cases of either deformity or injury where the person's face or uh, other structures are, are injured or damaged and you are trying to repair that and plastic surgeons do a, a, an amazing job. Um, but sometimes when when there are traumatic injuries, you know, battlefield injuries are a great example and you want to you know uh, restore what was lost um, that being able to to do that in a way that brings that person back to as close to their original appearance as possible is a tremendous uh, benefit to the patient both you know physiologically but then also you know for the
0: psychological psychologically of those, yep. of those injuries yeah exactly absolutely the kinds of fabrication methods that you utilize. Um, you talk about bioprinting, but there's a lot of very different aspects of that. Um, so, you know, what are some of the advances that, um, W firm has made in that area?
1: So here at the Institute, we try to leverage any approach that we can to reach these goals. So we use, bioprinting in the form of extrusion bioprinting where we have hydrogels of various types. And then we've also used, uh, inkjet printing. We have active research in what's called digital light processing or stereolithography where it's, it's light based photo curing of, of hydrogels to print tissues. Yep. Um, like
0: a resin printer.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, So we're actively exploring a lot of these different things, but I think where we're focused right now in trying to improve the field and get closer to realizing some some goals is working towards developing a what we're calling a universal bio So we have researchers that are heading that up where the goal is to have a, a very standardized platform, and again, this goes back to being able to get through some of the regulatory processes. If we have something that we can prove out as a kind of a base technology and then uh, have some pretty standard modulations, depending on the either the bioprinting platform or the cell types that are being uh, utilized, we can have a standardized base and then we can make some modifications to that chemistry to to come up with a variety of, of bioinks that are suited for the particular application, but in a way that's very predictable. Um, and that's important when you're dealing with the regulatory process, because you want yeah, to be imagine. able to show uh, a predictable outcome. And so when we have a very standardized platform that that'll be very helpful for that process. So that's one of the areas of, of active research right now is trying to to come up with a reliable and repeatable bioink that gives us, you know, the biological results that we want, but also can be something that'll uh, one day carry us through the regulatory processes as we try and move bioprinting closer to clinical
0: use. Right, so you'd imagine that, you know even with all the potentially you know high level of customization that certain cells might require that there is like this the universal bioink that could be That's
1: right and hmm. each cell type has its own set of surface receptors and uh, yeah. ability to attach itself to a subset of biomolecules and so you you need a bioink that is uh, amenable to that cell type to promote its normal function and, and development into yeah. a, a tissue and then an organ. But they're not all the same. They they have their own unique uh, needs mm. for cell contact as well as you know, certain protein contact or extracellular yeah. matrix in general. I think uh, a classic example that illustrates this well was we had a project going on where they were differentiating cardiomyocytes into functional beating heart cells they found that in a bioink that was based on hyaluronic acid which had great chemical flexibility as far as crosslink building in crosslinking as well as um, good uh, bioprinting it was great it's a great bioink but then when it came to the biological interaction with the heart cells they just wouldn't mm-hmm. differentiate and beat properly and then we switched it over to Another biolink that we've used that was based on uh, gelatin and fibrin, the typical part of the clotting process um, it was it's, it's very different um, in its printing properties and mechanical properties but biologically it allowed the cells to, to properly differentiate attach and beat, which was, That was a a good example of why tuning the ink to the particular needs of the cell types is important. Both sets of bioinks were able to be extruded and cross-link and provide sufficient uh, structure, some better than others, but having the right biological interaction with the cells is is critical. Mm. So we do, Uh, research on on different bioinks, trying to develop a a lot of different things. Some other examples, well, there's lots of different technologies that we use for tissue engineering. Um, So some of the typical ones have been just scaffold fabrication through things like electrospinning, where you produce uh, nanofiber scale sizes of, of polymers and then are able to Spin them around into. It's kind.
0: It's called. Yeah, um, you, you fire. Non-woven. You fire them out at a spinning rod, which then sort of weaves them into a fiber, right?
1: Right, right. Or, so or it's a scavenger. non. It's it's a non woven process where it's kind of random, uh, where the fibers land, but um, because of the electro forces on, on the material as it's being, uh, drawn into a fiber, you can get, uh, fiber diameters. On the order of collagen fibrils that you see in, in tissues, so we still use that process, um, which has been around for several decades now. Another one that we use is uh, decellularization, where we can take tissues um, that you know may have come from a donor uh, or even from an animal, and take all of the mm-hmm. all of the cells and cellular materials out, and only leave behind proteins, and other components of the extracellular matrix. Um, however, those those biomolecules in the extracellular matrix are, are very instructive as it provides uh, insight into what the cell niche is, where the cell was residing, and there can often be residual cytokines and other biomolecules that those unique cell types respond to. So, We've we've utilized those technologies, but we're finding that they can even play a role in bioprinting, uh, especially the decellularized tissues. We've taken de- different decellularized tissues and then been able to turn them into bioinks. Several different researchers here have been working on doing that, um, so that we can have tissue-specific inks that are derived from the unique tissue that we're trying to print. So examples are cartilage, highland cartilage in the knee. We've taken that and decellularized it, turned it into a cross-linkable hydrogel that we can print, as well as kidney. Been working on that for several years, Uh, decellularized kidney, and turning it into a hydrogel that can be printed. We're, We're hoping some of those things that we're learning as far as what ECM molecules we're able to retrieved from those decellularized tissues can be incorporated into even this platform of a universal biolink. Maybe there's aspects of that that can be dropped in as modifications to the standardized mm-hmm. platform.
0: I actually uh, was able to visit the Institute mm-hmm. back in 2016 and I saw one of the decellularized kidneys it's pretty impressive. It's essentially the organ, but mm-hmm. washed of all cells, so it's just pure white with the microvasculature just yeah, hanging it's out. Awesome. It's a pretty, pretty. You know, it's a pretty interesting look at you know what the building blocks of a human. Being yeah, are. exactly.
1: And it's amazing how much of that what's what's left over and is no longer living is actually instructive to the cells that reside in it. Well, one of the challenges mm-hmm. uh, that we've run into as a, as a field, not just here at the Institute is trying to repopulate a tissue or organ that's been decellularized with living cells is extremely challenging. The, the desire is that you take a donor kidney that would be rejected unless you have a lot of immune suppressant drugs on board. And then you, you want to be able mm-hmm. to transplant that and make it useful to the, to the patient that's receiving it avoiding that rejection would be great. So it'd be nice to replace the donor cells with the patient's own cells so that they don't have to deal with all that rejection. But we can remove the cells very well now as we've developed all these protocols over the years. And But then putting all the right cells in the right place, we can get a lot of the vasculature repopulated because those are tubes and pipes basically that we can flow through but then you have all of the rest of the tissue that you know we want to repopulate and it's very difficult to then infuse all those cells into this bulk tissue and, and get it functioning again we've found that there's a lot of migration of cells to the right places but even then you still have just a lot of reorganization that can't really take places i think uh one of the illustrations that comes to my mind is if you have a house and you're renovating, you want to tear everything down to the studs and, and then build it back up. But if you're trying to repopulate that house without doing all the deconstruction and, and really clearing out everything, it can be hard to, to get everything back in, in place. And we want to,
0: you to step over everything just to put right. And, back where it needs to go. Sometimes it's just
1: easier to tear everything down and build from the ground up, and that's where bioprinting has benefit, where you can start building from the ground up. But there's limitations to that as well, where there's so many specific uh, molecules and and structures that we just can't properly fabricate that there's benefits to both. So finding ways that we can combine these things is hopefully going to be very fruitful in
0: the long run. Okay. Well, is there any like other research that you're particularly interested in talking about?
1: Well, along the lines of the universal bio Inc., there's also a sister project that's looking at generating uh, universal cell media so that we can work towards growing a large host of cell types in media that is they each kind of like the bioinks, each cell type needs unique conditions and supplements. But one of the one of the hindrances of traditional cell culture approaches is that there's a lot of reliance on nutrients derived from either bovine sources or eggs. Fetal serums, yeah. So there's there's lots of nutrient sources that we didn't really know back when cell culture was being initiated and over the last, you know, few decades. We found through trial and error that we can use some of these different things like fetal bovine serum and things like that, or you know, chick embryo extracts and things that are these concentrated sources of nutrients, both protein and different I guess hormones would be good example of growth hormones and things lots of different biomolecules that um we didn't know at the time how to tease out and understand where what was really useful but we found that there's different things that work better for different cell types and so there's a group here at the institute are that have been working very hard and, and finding good success in trying to define what is useful
0: so taking it back to the baseline Trying to, you know, find the, the simplest possible exactly. media that can be not only the simplest
1: but have it completely defined, yeah, and not have some of these black box, uh, animal derived products in them. So that again, when it comes to going, through the regulatory process with cell therapies or some of these other
0: technologies, yeah, you know,
1: whether it's bioprinting or whatever, anything that needs to be cultured, having a media that is well defined repeatable so that you have a clear recipe without any of these black boxes. You may have a very clear thing in the recipe, like, yeah, 10% of the media should be bovine serum. You know, that looks like a clear thing on the recipe label, but that in itself is composed of a variety of things that you don't always have control over and it varies from batch to batch. So having a defined media that can be created the exact same every time is going to be a huge asset for going through these regulatory processes with confidence. And so you have better control over the, the culture process and, and result. And so that's, that's another big push for the Institute. Uh, and again, aligning with our mission of, of getting these therapies to patients is not only quickly, but as um, Safe. safely as possible.
0: Yeah. Um, do you envision that they might be um, animal product free, or is this still more like you're trying to really analyze what those animal products are? Uh,
1: over time, um, I think it'll become as animal product free as possible. Mm-hmm. There may be there may be some reagents that we have to isolate from animal sources sources, but you know, with the way things are going and the ways that we're able to use re- recombinant genetics to produce so many
0: different things and
1: get better techniques for.
0: Producing from bacterial sources, right? Mammalian sources.
1: Right. And then also getting better at tissue and blood isolation techniques. Um, so there's, there's lots of different things that are being viewed with the goal of making things more reliable, more predictable and overall more safe for for patients and, and hopefully allowing us to to get more and more of these therapies through the regulatory processes and to patients
0: very nice well that's all very interesting carlos um thank you very much for coming here today and talking about your research and what's going on at the institute uh i'd be happy to have you back on any time you had new uh, info to share
1: well i appreciate the invitation scott and good talking to you
0: Thanks very much.